0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 661.
1: I think just uh, be curious and have fun. Just There's all kinds of ridiculous and amazing things out there, and they're all worth looking into. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on
0: Cars Yeah! I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology, and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com Hello automotive enthusiasts! I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Jason Torchinski. Hey, Jason, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? As far as I can tell, yes. Okay, cool. Jason Turchinsky is a writer and an artist who indulges his disturbingly deep obsession with automobiles in his role as associate editor at the popular website Jalopnik. Jason has written a book. He's opened for George Carlin as a stand-up comedian. That must have been something. He's written for The Onion, and he's had art installations in several cities around the world. Jason's raced cars. He's wrecked a few cars and produced many car related artworks, articles, and talks. Jason grew up in North Carolina. He lived in Los Angeles for quite a bit of time, and now he's back in North Carolina, which he's hoping doesn't make him some kind of a loser. Jason, you are not a loser, so don't worry. <laughs> you're, you're in good company here with the Cars. You yeah have fans, and I have a lot of my listeners who love Jalopnik, so they're excited to hear from you today. So, Jason, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share maybe a little bit more about your very eclectic, uh, unique career and, of course, that passion you have for automobiles?
1: Uh, Sure. Well, my career as an automotive journalist is somewhat recent. I've kind of been doing it full-time since, uh, let's see, 2011 or 12, somewhere in there. Before that, I was – I was a graphic designer. I was a graphic designer. I was a, a stand-up and sketch comic. I I had started a webcasting business, which proved to be a a great way to get rid of all my money throughout my uh, year it you know, when that kind of went under. And um, uh, so I did a, a bunch of other things. Mostly, it was in art and design though that I was kind of focused in. But I always loved cars. And then yeah, you know, when I had the opportunity, and well, I just kind of decided that I I was sick of um sick of having jobs that I just wasn't that engaged in and I just wanted to do something that felt less like work. So that that was the big motivation. I wanted my time spent at work because I ended up always spending a lot of time at work. Right. To, yeah, I wanted to work in the, the stuff I was doing when I would procrastinate instead of working <laughs> and turn that into my work.
0: Well, that fits perfectly with what Cars Yeah! is all about. My listeners know that uh, the people I talk to have figured out how to wrap that passion for cars into their careers, their vocations. Again, you're in great company here, and we're going to learn a lot more about you as we kind of move through the story. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. Some kind of saying that it has some meaning for you. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah! So Jason, take the wheel!
1: This was a weird one. I have, probably should have given it a little more thought in <laughs> hindsight, because I don't know that I have one specifically, but I guess the closest thing, I'm a big fan of the concept of good enough. Ah. Um, the, there's a lot of people I, I know who are much more perfection-oriented, and I've never really been that way, and I really believe in the value of just kind of doing something, even if it's not exactly the way you want it or it's not perfect, there's real value to just kind of... Just trying just taking a risk and just you know kind of jumping in a little bit blind and it's not always a great idea and very often it ends in failure and embarrassment but (laughs) it doesn't always and sometimes you just kind of have to just just do it just you just have to take the risk and try so there's always a point where something's all right it's good enough and you just go and see what happens so maybe maybe that's kind of a mantra
0: maybe that's the mantra well this is an interesting mantra because some people out there say well no i can't release a, a project or an idea or concept till till it's absolutely perfect and i have a lot of value in that i believe in that but at the same time sometimes that's what keeps us from moving forward from just jumping yeah. in and doing it so i think that's what you're saying right
1: yeah, basically. I've I've known a lot of very talented people, a lot of great ideas who haven't ever managed to do as much that they wanted to do because what they're trying to do has never met their standards mm. of what it has to be. And sometimes those standards are not plausible or not reachable. They're unrealistic and it may not matter as much as they think. And sometimes if they... You know, not necessarily lower their standards, but just briefly ignored them long enough to yeah. actually once to make something happen, because once the momentum of something you're actually doing, it's out in the world, it's being done, you'll get the chance to perfect it. But sometimes you just have to go out there, you know, before everything's all tucked in and ready
0: and just release just do it i i understand what you're saying yeah that keeps a lot of people held back you know if i want to work out be be in good shape if i can't do a good hour-long workout every day i guess i'm not even going to try because i eh, can't do that yeah. so yeah i understand well would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars i'd like for you to go back in time and think about that pivotal moment in your life when you realized that you were a car guy
1: well i think i have been interested in cars ever since I was a little kid, and I think a couple of key things really made me realize it. And probably it centers around uh, Volkswagen Beetles. My dad had a 68 Beetle and an auto stick Beetle when I was you know before I was born. And when I was a little kid, that was the car I remember most. And I for some reason I was just very drawn to it, just as an object in a machine. It was round and friendly and it made interesting noises and it had a funny smell and you can kind of bounce around in the little luggage well behind the back seat <laughs> yeah i started to really associate a lot of what i liked with that car it had a, a discernible face and it, you know there was a lot of things about it that just kind of drew me in and then i think i remember uh the herbie movies as a kid were a big deal for me they <laughs> oh yeah you know, it morphifies this thing that i was already kind of drawn to uh kind of introduced you to the idea of racing and other cars there was a fantastic apollo gt in in that first movie as well uh, i think that's kind of what really maybe made me realize that uh, i really did like cars and i really wanted to always kind of be around them but you know the beetle has always been kind of a gateway drug at least in america it's like the gateway drug to interesting and strange cars uh, <laughs> you know cuz there weren't that many you know, growing up in like, uh, North Carolina in the 80s in America, there's, it wasn't like there was a whole bunch of exotic cars. It wasn't like LA, you mm-hmm. know, in oh, yeah. LA, there's all kinds of interesting things around. Uh, so the Beetle was one of the few cars you saw that weren't exactly like every K car in Caprice that you would see. Right. And that kind of started you reading, and you'd kind of go down this path. Like, what other rear-engine cars out there? And then before you know it, you're reading about Porsches and Styres and, <laughs> and uh, old Renaults and things like that. And then, you know, you're gone by that point. You're yeah, boned.
0: by then, the hook is is set and set deep. Yeah, VWs have a place in my history. I had a Carmen Ghia in high school, yeah. my sister had a 68. Bug. So uh, Mm -hmm. I helped her work on that quite a bit. We were always uh, working on something of those cars. And uh, my son, when he was eight years old, learned how to drive on a farm in a VW Bug, which was later given to him. So his first car, he he was only 12 at the time, so he could only drive it around in the parking lot where I was working. But most definitely... That is a, I like the gateway drug, the gateway car, if you will, for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Well, Jason, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. You talked about that one business that was a startup for you and didn't quite work out real well, but I'd love for you to go back in time and talk about a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced along the way in your career. And of course, the most important part of this kind of a question has to do with what did it teach you so that you can move forward? So take us to that kind of painful time, walk us through it, and then tell us (laughs) how you how you got out of that pain.
1: All right um well let's see i guess we can talk so yeah the i i guess the closest thing yeah would be this i started a uh, it was a company that did uh webcasting and internet video uh around in the late 90s we were a little too early mm-hmm. you know soon after i moved to la i kind of i worked with another company that was kind of pioneering this sort of thing and we worked with them for a while and i was a designer and a user interface designer and i learned a lot there and then uh, me and a friend of mine had, had previously run an internet games company that we'd done and we designed a lot of things and he developed a lot of internet architecture ideas and we realized we could probably do this kind of thing a little bit better than what I, this company I was working for was doing so I left and we started this company and you know it was we were doing interesting stuff we were doing online learning classes live and in real time and we had some interesting clients like the Choctaw Nation was one of our clients for language preservation, wow. and a bunch of universities. We were doing a lot of this stuff, but it it was too early. There just wasn't quite the critical mass, yeah. And the internet speeds weren't quite there, and we were just struggling the whole time because we were pushing kind of the edge of what the infrastructure would do and what people were even aware of. Yeah. And I think we um we just made a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the software itself was good, but it was we didn't really know anything about selling stuff and it was a lot of work and um eventually we got some angel investment and but that came with a a ceo and you know and um i don't know and the, i think actually the company is still around the ceo and, and one or two other people are still doing something with it although i have no idea what but it was difficult and it was lean you know and then we went through the bursting uh, the internet bubble burst was during that time and it was oh yeah it was a mess and it was not you know it things started out so positive when everything started there but everybody was delusional in the late 90s every yeah. there was just, <laughs> yeah everyone was delusional people were throwing around money and in hindsight it just seems like a mass hallucination i don't know what the hell we were all thinking <laughs> well but
0: you know it's a great way to put it but uh, what was the takeaway for you? Obviously, when you go through these painful times with businesses and especially when you start getting venture capital money in and some other the guy that comes in and starts telling you what to do, sometimes it's good advice, sometimes not so good advice. What was your takeaway from that whole experience?
1: Uh, well, I mean, part of the takeaway is sometimes it's possible to be too early mm-hmm. at something you're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think to a large degree we were. And it's also like i don't I think we should have trusted ourselves a little more in some context when we got some angel capital and gave up as much control as we did. I don't think it worked out really well, and I think we if we had had a little more faith in ourselves, we could have maybe demanded a little more. Uh, control over the company i think we could have steered it in a direction that made a little more sense mm-hmm. yeah I, I guess that's what i learned i don't know And I, sometimes i wonder what the hell i did learn in the end but uh, <laughs> I, that was a lot of it uh, yeah. don't refinance your house during periods of time like that too i learned that also yeah and uh,
0: uh yeah don't don't leverage yourself that deep that's for no, sure not, absolutely not exactly. Yeah, it's when that, that, uh, exuberant concept of the red mist kind of flows over your eyes and you think, oh, I can do anything. But yeah, being ahead of your time, that is a huge challenge because your ideas are there, but the infrastructure doesn't exist to support all those ideas. So the users, like you say, they can't, they can't do anything with what you're giving them.
1: And projections are often meaningless. They're often just complete fiction. <laughs> I learned that too. Like looking back at like where we had predicted things to go based on what seemed rational at the time, it's just, fiction yeah it's ridiculous
0: (laughs) well innovative thought that's for sure well let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum i'd love for you to share one of your career aha moments now you've had a an interesting background you've done a lot of different things being involved in graphic design i did that for gosh a dozen years i was a um, art director at an ad agency and got involved in graphics and things like that but i'd love for you to share a time when those i like to say when the headlights come on and kind of illuminate your way for a new direction in your career maybe share that aha moment with us
1: um i guess there's a there's a couple in different you know because it's there's kind of different aspects of career like um in my art career which is sort of separate from even my uh automotive journalism career there are a couple of things i did that just ended up getting a lot of attention i made this giant atari joystick it's 15 times scale uh that you plug it into an atari and stand on it and move it around and when I did you know, and that was one of those things I did as part of like this show of eight bit like pixel art that a friend of mine was throwing, and when I agreed to to do to try it, when I had the idea, I had no idea if I could actually get it done. No idea at all. But I thought it was worth a try. And then when I did it, I pulled it off, it got a lot of attention and it got me a lot of attention and it uh made me realize, you know, that these there's a lot more you know, there's a lot more of this kind of thing I could do. I was a painter for a while and I did a lot of that but I just wasn't really good enough and I and it was hard to stand out and then that kind of that project kind of made me realize I should just find a niche that not as many people are playing in and I can have a little more fun with and that's when I started doing more installation art and then that worked out really well you know I did a installation with another artist at the Arnold in the UK um, I was working with a uh, group in L.A. called Machine Project. They're still around, a fantastic artist group. And they got me all kinds of great opportunities to do installations at the LACMA and uh, the Walker Art Museum in Minneapolis. And even just this past year, I did a, um, an installation where I, again, I, and I a lot of these things kind of revolve around just things I'm interested in, like old computers and old video games. So I took a, a lancha, an old lancha that didn't run anymore, and I wired an old Atari into it. And in this amphitheater on this gigantic screen, I have it so you can play the game Pole Position from inside the car using the pedals and the car's wheel and that kind of thing. Ah, cool. Old school pixel graphics that are like, you know, pixels the size of bricks. and But you're in a real car and modified the car so it looked like it was pixelated too. And there was a realization there that you should, you just do work you're interested in. I used to struggle for hours trying to figure out what to paint or sculpt or make because nothing seemed to have enough gravity. And then when I quit caring about that and just did stuff I liked, everything worked out a lot better.
0: Everything kind of clicked into place. Very and cool. That,
1: but So, I mean, that doesn't have to do with cars as much. although tangentially it does because a lot of my artwork does. But, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, doing what you enjoy. I think that's the lesson. I learned from that experience. How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many, you've done so many different unique things, but is there one that stands out for you that you could share?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of things I'm I'm proud of. Um for auto journalism, I've had um I've got articles that have gotten a lot of attention. I've had I'm trying to think. There was I don't know if I've ever done anything that's gotten a like an actual like a conventional award or, or not, but um plenty of things that people have come back to me and and told me how much they've liked them and uh, posts that have gone into the millions of hits and just had a lot of uh, very widespread appeal. And I tend to write about things that are not, you know, I try to avoid a lot of the conventional stuff in the conventional cars. I did a, I do a video series called Jason Drives, which was doing really well. And one of the first ones I did was on this car called the Hoffman, which is arguably the worst car ever designed and that did great that's got you know i think pushing 2 million views on youtube right now and it's it's doing great and that showed that people are interested in cars that aren't the usual uh supercars or muscle cars or things like that like there's a right. place for the weird and unloved and terrible in uh what people want to Want to see when it comes to cars, and which is great because that's that's the space that I am most comfortable in.
0: Sure. Well, that's how I learned about you was that interesting Hoffman vehicle and watching that video, going, what on earth is that car and who is that guy? And that's how I found you. So here you go. Huh. You know, you brought <laughs> us together. So that's cool. Well, <laughs> I, let's have a little bit of fun. I'd love for you to go back in time and talk about your first really special car. We talked about your dad having that VW, but your first car, the car that really had some meaning to you, and, and maybe share a memory you have with that vehicle.
1: Sure. I always had Beetles. I've had other cars, too, but, like, uh, my first car ever was a 68 Beetle. I had a 71 Beetle through high school, and I flew that one in a wreck where it was aloft for 84 feet. What? which is yeah, the cops measured like where the skid marks quit and where the car had landed. Luckily, it landed back in the wheels. Oh I was my like you know, gosh! 18, I'm an idiot. And that, I think the Wright brothers' first flight may not have been 84 feet. I have to <laughs> check. I'm not sure, but oh my we caught like oh my a tree and it kind of flung us into the air. So we caught a lot of caught a lot of air. Uh, that was special. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I I think the beetle after that. This is the beetle I have now. It's a '73. I got it when I was 18, and I've had it ever since. And it was actually stolen. Uh, when I lived in LA and Jalopnik readers actually helped me find it again, which was absolutely (laughs) astounding. So it was stolen from in front of my house. I loved this car and I couldn't imagine not having it. And um, so I wrote about how my car is stolen. I was freaking out and I wrote about how upset I was and I really wanted to find it. And we got some photos of the car on one of my posts, but no address, no information. And it had been partially stripped. I could tell the engine was gone and the headlights and I was a little beaten around, but it was there. I could, couldn't tell where it was, just somewhere, looked maybe East L.A. Uh, Cops, uh-huh. I sent them the picture, they couldn't do anything. Uh, but one of our readers, using just Google Earth and the general socioeconomic look of the neighborhood and the color of a house behind it, found the intersection where the car was within a half hour Wow! and sent a link out in the, in the comments of the site. I found, you know, he sent the link, I found it. I uh, drove over there, found the car, towed it home and put it back together. So <laughs> it was just astounding how well that really worked and really made you realize the power of a collective mind on the Internet.
0: Oh, yeah. You know. Car people, you bring us together, you want to know something about a car, find your stolen car, and everyone jumps to action, and uh, that's really cool that you actually found that thing and and got it back, so um, awesome, awesome, very nice. Well, how about a car that you've owned that you let go, that you really wish you had back in your garage? Is there one of those stories, that old seller's remorse story?
1: Yeah, and the thing is, I don't don't regret, so I had, uh, this was a car, the only car I've ever traded for another car. I would kind of like the car I traded, but I like what I traded it for, so... I had an old 67 Volvo P1800S, the little coupe, oh, Volvo, yeah. the little sports car one, very pretty, very pretty car, Yep. and uh, I loved it, but it wasn't really compatible with my yard in LA, because I don't know if you remember those, they had um the version I had was an early one that had, instead of a gas cap, it just had like a tube, and there's like rubber bung on a flap, and a little tiny drain hole, and my yard had a bunch of tiny these trees with tiny leaves it was just constantly dumping so without knowing about it this little drain hole would always get filled with these little leaves and I would forget or it would very occasionally rain or I would wash it and I would just end up filling the gas tank full of water and so after like the fifth time of taking out the tank and dumping it I thought it wasn't going to work in my yard so I traded it for a Reliant Scimitar which is a very rare car and I love it but I do occasionally kind of miss that old Volvo. It was uh it was a lot of fun and it was just such a lovely little car.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, the the P1800's really unique looking car, cool car. What comes to mind for me is of course the TV show The Saint. Sure, The Saint. The yep, car Saint that, car. Yeah, the car that he drove, but uh I used to work with a guy who loved those cars and uh, he he kept buying them and bringing them in and as soon as he'd get it home, he'd realize the thing was so rusted out. And he couldn't save it, and he'd have to dump it and get another one. And I think after four mm-hmm. or five of those, he finally realized, okay, I'm done with these things. So uh, and that
1: body was one piece, yes. like a car. Yeah. Also, so if yeah. you got rust, you're.
0: It was uh, expensive to fix, as all rust is, and uh, on a car like that, where the end result isn't going to be worth a lot of money. Yeah, it just was a lost cause. Well, I would love for you to share a little bit more with our audience about Jalopnik. Tell our listeners more about Jalopnik. Those who haven't been there a lot, I'm sure many have, because very well-known site, but. What you're doing there? What has you really excited and fired up for the coming up new year?
1: Oh, it was, um, I love Jalopniks. You know, it's a general interest car site. It's it's among the most open and accepting and that we'll write about anything transportation related with as much zeal as we can bring to anything. You know, they, they let me write about pre-1880s steam cars, you know, with the same – The same attention and excitement that, you know, we would write about a new McLaren or a Veyron or something. We cover everything, and everything is as interesting, and that's what I love about the site. And I also love that they let me literally write pretty much whatever the hell I want, which is fantastic. Yes. This coming year, we're going to be doing more video, I think, which will be a lot of fun. We're going to be getting a couple new writers, which will be fun. I'm looking forward to that because we do – all of our writers do an awful lot of writing every day. And it will be nice to have – couple more writers there so we can focus on some bigger scale projects so i think we might be doing more large scale stuff and more video and uh i'm looking forward to it i think it's going to be really great and we're under you know new ownership now through univision who've been very good very good custodians from before us uh you know ever since gawker went through all that mess but it's been great and uh i think um i think we're gonna just get a chance and a little more resources to to push it a little bit bigger, which I think should be a lot of fun.
0: Very cool. Well, we'll all look forward to the coming new year and those videos especially. That sounds fantastic. Well, Jason, yeah. here's a very introspective question
1: for you. If Jason was a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Um, Yeah, I was thinking about this. I think maybe, are you familiar with the Volkswagen Fridolin?
0: right now, there's a word i haven't heard in a long time that's a very you know those? i do yeah but i uh, i don't yeah. think i've heard anybody mention one of those in over a decade
1: <laughs> i really like them and um they were built for the you know the german and swiss postal service they're basically they're equivalent of like a little postal van but and then they're kind of a frankenstein of a bunch of vw parts bin stuff like it's a I think it's a Carmen Ghia chassis, so the slightly wider chassis. Rear engine, Type 1 engine, so a little flat 4. Body is, you know, the back chunk of it's from an old microbus. The front end looks kind of like a Type 3. It's got sliding doors. It's not, you know, there's a quality about this car that I associate with a lot. It's, you know, it's not flashy, but it catches your eye, and it's very utilitarian. It's good at doing its humble little job, and it kind of keeps at it. It's got a plucky kind of charm i really like they called that the the type 147 it might be the type one yeah i think it is a type 147 Let's okay. say i have a model up here <laughs> to, yeah, type 147 yes. okay okay yeah the
0: front end was kind of had the nose of looked a little bit like their notch back
1: uh, yeah car it's, yeah it's kind of like a type 3 back is kind of like a bus sliding door and it's got a lot of qualities like if i'm going to be a car for some reason, I always feel like I'd be a rear-engined car of some kind. Uh-huh. And, and there's a lot of things that I appreciate in cars that the the, the Type 147 just kind of has in it. I'm <laughs> you know, I'm not a supercar guy. I've never liked, you know, like the idea of like a Veyron, I think is one of the most idiotic cars out there because nobody ever drives into what they can do. And I just don't, I don't get the point. I don't see who gets, you know, <laughs> you're never going to drive one. But I much more prefer cars that do a job well. And I like, you know, humble cars, cars that are like, They have character kind of despite being designed in such a humble way. So, like, my favorite cars tend to be things that were, like, people's cars. Like, aside from the Beetle, like the Mini, the original Mini, the Citroen 2CV, or uh, Renault 4, or um, Gogomobiles, or, you know, all things like that. Those are the kinds of cars that I find most interesting and exciting. Strange unloved, humble little things <laughs> that just kind of keep going. Trabant, things like that. Yeah,
0: well, my goodness, you are the first out of 661 guest to be a, a Fridolin. And for those of you who don't <laughs> know the car, it's got kind of, yeah, I guess that was kind of the informal name. F-R-I-D-O-L-I-N I think is how that's spelled. Fridolin. Yeah. Yeah, and they were made from the kind of mid-60s to mid-70s, I believe. I've only seen yeah. one or two when I've been traveling abroad in Europe and Germany. I've never seen one over here in the States, but I, I know they exist. People take them and modify them and you go to bug-ins and things and people will show yeah. up with them wow jason drove
1: <laughs> you in drove germany. One. okay i got a chance to drive one in germany from vw's heritage collection and it had a um, uh, an 80 horsepower motor in it so if you know vw's that's <laughs> that's, that's a, a lot. powerful motor for a vw so it was a blast to drive it's got this it's tall and airy inside and, you know actually my my wife's car, like our modern car, is a Scion XB, the first gen one. It's very boxy. Huh? It actually felt a lot like that inside, with the tall windshield and all the headroom, which is something I really like. But it had you know more power than a normal Beetle, and I thought it was a blast to drive, you know, painted metal dash, you know, no fancy crap, just yep. a nice yep. spindly gear shift and everything was just felt so mechanical and good. I loved it. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I'd i be happy to be associated with a, a Fridolin.
0: Well, that's pretty cool. That uh, I think that fits you very well, Jason. You're a very unique character. So uh, <laughs> I think that's perfect. So Jason, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's CarShout yeah sponsors. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Hey, Cars Yeah! I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft Seat Covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks. And their Seat Savers, a favorite of mine, are custom tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work Truck Seat Covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark, a Cars sent you. That's (laughs) Covercraft.com. All right, Jason, we are back and we're entering the last lap and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. Okay. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: Um, Probably look where you're driving. Like wherever you're looking is where you're driving.
0: (laughs) Yeah, heads up, heads up.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years?
1: like my general success
0: (laughs) any success you you think you've had yeah uh
1: habits um well don't be afraid to fail in general take a risk don't be afraid to look like an idiot i do take a take a
0: chance i like that now about a resource there's lots of great ones obviously jalopnik is a great resource so we know about that one but is there another one that you'd like to share with the carshow listeners
1: yeah, old stacks of Popular Mechanics, if you can get a hold of them. <laughs> I had a reader send me a big stack of these things, and they're fantastic. I get so many stories idea ideas from them. There you so, go. Old automotive magazines, the moldier, the older, the better.
0: <laughs> I like that. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read recently that you think our listeners should crack open and read as well?
1: Yeah, there's a great book by Paul Schipperood about the uh, about Joseph Gans and the Beetle. Joseph Gans was like a Jewish motor journalist who contributed. Uh, to the Beatles design the extraordinary life of Joseph Gans the uh, Jewish engineer behind Hitler's Volkswagen it's a great book and it's you know the story's been told so many times And this is it's like a little bit of lost information and it's it's a fascinating story and um, there's a new documentary out called the bug that I'm in along with Ewan McGregor and I do get to talk about Joseph Gans in that thing a lot so wow
0: very cool that's a very interesting book and, um, <clears throat> very interesting too. The fact that there's a, a Jewish gentleman related to the Volkswagen bug in Hitler. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That doesn't make any sense, does it? But,
1: well, that's, that's what was so exciting and interesting about it. Yeah.
0: There you go. Very cool. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources that Jason's been so kind to share on his very own show notes page at com slash Jason Torchinsky. T-O-R-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y is the spelling of Jason's last name. And there's another great place on the Cars website called Guest Recommended Book, where this book and the past 660 guest books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. It's a great resource of some great reading material. All right, Jason, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy, and I think you're going to have a pretty unique answer for this one. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but money's no object, don't worry about the cost. I'll cover everything so don't even bring that into the discussion. What would that vehicle be and more importantly
1: why it would be a tatra t eighty seven ooh yeah, it's a Czechoslovakian car uh-huh. it's a lined rear mounted air cooled v eight it's got a dorsal fin like a shark, three headlights and usually the center one moves with the wheel it's one of my favorite cars. I love those things they're um they just remind me of they're like a refugee from a timeline that never really happened, like <laughs> time when we'd be traveling everywhere via jetpack and zeppelin, and they're just there's a strange, otherworldly optimism about them, and I it's one of my favorite cards. I got to drive one once, and I adored it. It's a uh, fantastic. It's it's comfortable and strange and engaging. I love it. So yeah, one of those.
0: Well, I'm hoping that you were at Pebble Beach when they had those Tatras on the lawn.
1: I saw those. Yeah, there were some beautiful
0: there. Yeah, yeah. those were some cars that I think most people were at that event had never even heard of those cars. Uh, they are very, very unique, as are you, Jason. So uh, I'm not surprised at all that you picked the Tatra T87. What a cool car. Wow, that's pretty special. You were definitely the only one out of 661 <laughs> guests that have ch- that chose that car. So that makes you even more unique. Well, Jason, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I kind of had a feeling that you would, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better. I want to thank you for sharing your journey and your Jalopnik journey with the listeners here on Cars Jack. Yeah. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you head off down the highway in your Tatra T87?
1: I think just uh, be curious and have fun. Just There's all kinds <laughs> of ridiculous and amazing things out there, and they're all worth looking into.
0: All worth looking into. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and about Jalopnik? Uh,
1: Jalopnik, just www.jalopnik.com, is a great way to find... Stuff I write and all the other great writers write. And I have a not recently updated but good enough personal site, just JasonTorchinski.com. We can see some of my artwork and other stuff.
0: Very cool. Well, listeners, again, you can find all those links on Jason's show notes page at CarsYad.com. Just type Jason in the search bar and that page will pop up. Check out what Jalopnik's doing. Subscribe to them so you can see what they're doing every day. It's a great site. A lot of fun. If you're into cars at all, you're going to love Jalopnik. Jason, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your incredible experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road.
1: Thanks so much. It was a lot of fun. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up!